Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody, and welcome in. This is the SEC QB podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. We appreciate you guys tuning in. This is your host, Taylor McCarg, and uh, with me is standout former LSU quarterback Josh Booty. Um, and we're going to be bringing this to you guys each week, talking about, as you might imagine, breaking down the SEC, a lot of times with a specific focus on the quarterback position, and excited to get this podcast rolling and, and excited that you guys are with us along for the ride. And Josh, I don't know how you feel, but this last weekend with the SEC being back, I mean, I followed the first couple weeks of football, mm-hmm. but this last week felt like the first real weekend of college football. Did you feel that way? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I, I followed the SEC, of course, played in the SEC. Uh, you know, watch all the SEC ball games almost weekly. And it's just good to have these games back, even though there's no fans in the stands. Or, you know, you I know in Bama this week they're going to have 20,000 fans, which is about one-fifth of what the stadium holds. But, uh, you know, it's just it was interesting the first week because, you know, you eliminate spring ball because of COVID. You got limitations on the practice schedule. Uh, you know, in practice, they're they're beating up on each other. So tackling and, and you know, they don't want to have injuries in camp and stuff like that, getting ready for the season. So, they, you know, the defenses are a little bit behind. And that's what I saw week one was, of course, LSU, we saw them give up a ton of yards through the air. But uh, some of the other defenses I saw as well, like Florida, didn't play as well as, as they'd like to. And I think th- this next week we're going to see the defenses step up a little bit more because now they got one game under their belt. and. Uh, you know, the game the game mode's a little different. You know it. You played the position, quarterback position. You know that first week there's always a little bit more jitters going into that first week because you hadn't been doing uh, anything other than playing, uh, you know, against yourselves in practice and quarterbacks don't get hit. So I, there's just a lot of the dynamics of week one are, are always uh, fun and always uh, a little different than uh, how the rest of the season uh, usually play, plays out. So – uh, live bullets now. These kids got uh, game one behind them in, in conference play, and uh, a lot of a lot of guys got a lot of experience that didn't have any experience coming in. Um, so this it'll be fun to see how they respond uh, this week. Yeah, you talk about bringing back you know guys that haven't had a chance to get on the field yet. I think that was the number one thing that jumped out to me for LSU, and we can jump right into talking LSU Mississippi State from last week, but. Coming into this game, I don't think the country and, and LSU fans in particular really had an idea of how little production LSU had coming back, and that's just from the mm-hmm. guys that they had turned pro. But then you have a couple guys opt out as well, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're talking about – and I know that Ed Orgeron's done a phenomenal job in recruiting, but when you put that number of guys in the NFL, th- there's no <laughs> such thing as just reloading that type of roster. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. And I think we saw that. And I don't know, obviously, you you played there. I don't know how you feel about it, but it did not completely shock me that they lost that game because I think they ha- they are replacing a ton of pieces. They really are. You know, they lost 15 to the draft, which was an NFL record. I think they tied one of the Hurricane, Miami Hurricane teams of the of the 90s. So, you know, you're losing that many players. And, and if you turn on the TV on Sunday, they're making plays and, in games and and a lot of these guys are starting in the NFL. So, you know, it's, we, we also lost both of our coordinators, our passing game coordinator, Joe Brady, who really ran the offense last year and took us into the spread uh, scheme. And then we lost Aranda to, 
to Baylor, our defensive coordinator is now the head coach of the Baylor Bears. So in steps Pelini, who had been at LSU, but he uh, he hadn't been there recently, and he plays a different type of of, of defense. And so um, you know <laughs> you can analyze that film, and uh, there's a lot of coaching. Uh, issues there there's some execution issues for sure uh the adjustments weren't made by by these young uh, players especially in the LSU secondary and I think that really killed us Mike Leach of course is unbelievable play caller for Mississippi State and they walked in there 16 and a half point underdogs uh into Tiger Stadium and and even with no fans it's it's not easy to go on the road and win especially when you got uh, you know, a coach that's never coached against LSU there, uh, a quarterback that has played some football at Stanford and K.J. Costello, the transfer, uh, but he just he, – he was able to catch fire and LSU really had no answers for him. But like you said, uh, it was just a lack of experience and I think Mississippi State just never let the, the foot off the pedal. And when K.J. Costello got hot and Leach is dialing up perfect plays for him, uh, and him not making any mistakes, it just got to where they were moving the chains almost every throw. And uh, it was a long day for the LSU defense. You know, I grew up in Louisiana, and I'm I'm actually here this week, but uh, everybody looks at LSU as kind of DBU, but, man, it's, we got a long way to go to be uh, – to you know, to, to have a good secondary this year. We did have our best player, Derek Stingley, out. He was unhealthy for the game, was sick with the flu, but he's going to be back this week against Fandy. So it might look a little different. He's a He'll be a Thor- Thorpe Award finalist and is, is a top five pick probably in two years when he comes out. He's a big-time player. So we'll have some fun with him there at corner, and it'll look a lot different probably against Fandy. And Fandy doesn't throw the ball like Mississippi State. So that was a tough one for us, man. We, uh, we dropped from number five to, uh, I think, 20th in the polls. And – uh, that's a that's a monster drop in week one, and LSU's really going to have to find a way to to play better defense with all those young players. Yeah, the, one thing that I want to get – I want to pick your brain on this, and this is something that we talked a little bit about on, on ESPN Radio today actually in, in Houston, but K.J. Costello, 60 attempts, 623 yards in one game, which I, I think I, I tweeted about this and joked, but that was like a quarter of one of my seasons. I mean, that's, that's Me an unbelievable too. day. But I think, and I want to get your opinion on this, do you think what Joe Burrow and LSU did last year, we think of it really as the Burrow effect, that we're going to see more of this type of passing attack around the SEC, especially for teams that are like in Arkansas that are trying to get back to being relevant. Do you think 100%. we're going to see more of the – I don't want to call it air raid. I know for Mike Leach it is air raid, but mm-hmm. you think we're going to see more of that sort of prolific passing attack as opposed to the old school SEC downhill running game? A hundred percent agree. I think the you know that bigger, faster, stronger in the lineup and knock them off the ball. That's kind of the pass. I mean, Saban uh, is the best, uh, I guess, instance of it because he loves to play great defense, run the football chew up clock, score, make it hard on the defense. But then he, when he went to the spread uh, four or five years ago, um, I knew that this whole thing, the dynamics of college football was about to change. And he knew that he had to run that spread to keep up and also make it fun for the guys recruiting-wise, uh, put four or five receivers on the field. I mean, that's what LSU did last year with Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, who's now the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. They brought him in from the New Orleans Saints. He was an assistant to Sean Payton. 
plugged him into that LSU offense with all those athletes, and they moved the ball, they pushed the ball up the field like crazy. And you see teams like Alabama, Ohio State, LSU last year, Clemson, run the spread, run the RPO, run the quarterback a little bit, gas people with, with some of those run-pass options, and then – you got speed on the perimeter. You're talking about those those four schools that I mentioned uh, may might have some of the best athletes in the country on the perimeter. So I think that's what everybody wants to get to now because they know when they get to those big games, they're going to have to score 40 or 50 points to win some of those games and some of those playoff games if they get there. So they've got to model their teams a little bit around what's happening now around the league. And I think when you have Saban doing that and when you've got – Orgeron doing that, and Ryan Day at Ohio State, and you know Texas and Clemson, and now Georgia's trying to go to the spread, and I just think that's 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 what's going to be there for the next ten years is the use of the RPO, the athletic quarterback, uh, the Justin Fields of the world. Man, we're going to see those guys coming up from the ranks. These athlete, athletic quarterbacks that can throw, and they're going to get it around the yard. Burrow did an exceptional job of it last year, sixty touchdowns. I thought it was the best uh, single season I've ever seen. And I've seen some – I'm at the age where I've seen some good stuff. My brother was at SC when Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush were there, and I went to probably 30 or 40 games in a row. And I thought Leiner was super productive uh, at SC, and he was throwing 35, 40 touchdowns and Burrow through 60. So you can see – kind of how this evolution of the spread is coming to play in college football. I love it because I'm an offensive guy. I know you love it too because you're a quarterback. And uh, I think that is, you know, the sign of the times for sure. Yeah, absolutely jealous of these, uh, what these quarterbacks get to do now. You talk about throwing it around the yard. Another game that surprised me was Ole Miss and Florida. The offensive production in that game, Florida ends up pulling away, but Ole Miss – had 613 yards of total offense against Florida. <laughs> I'm not sure. I got to watch a little bit of that game. Kyle Trask looked really impressive, looked like he may end up being, by the end of the season, either the best or you know, certainly in the conversation for the best quarterback out of the SEC this year. Did you get a chance to – what were your impressions of that game? Yeah, I you know I love Mullen as a, as a game day play caller. I think he's one of the best guys in, in college football. I know he's going to be an NFL coach one day. I know he wants to be an NFL coach one day. I've got buddies of mine that are buddies of his that say the same thing. I just think he can put his quarterbacks in great positions. We saw that at Mississippi State uh, with Dak Prescott. We're seeing it now with Kyle Trask. He's got a guy that he can depend on. The guy doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't make a lot of bad throws. He's tough in the pocket. He reminds me of Ellinger at Texas. He really does. Kyle Trask, can get the ball up the field. You saw the tight end Pitts uh, have uh, he had three touchdown catches. Uh, big tight end, physical, strong, fast, slender, uh, rangy tight end. Took it the distance on a on a uh, seam route where he 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 ran away from even the defensive backs uh, that Ole Miss had. So I mean they got serious weapons. Florida's always been able to run the ball too and be balanced. So I think. Kyle Trask gives them a great opportunity to win the win the East and possibly the the entire SEC. I mean, they're a team that is you know is going to get better each week. Their defense did give up a a lot of uh, yards, but uh, Lane Kiffin can dial up some good plays and they got some great receivers and their quarterback did a good job too. I just think Kyle Trask was a little bit too much for Ole Miss when it came down to it. Everybody throws six touchdowns, the SEC record, no, made no real mistakes. Uh, and, and Florida will play better defense this week against South Carolina. 
Yeah, the only only other thing I'd say on that game is uh, Ole Miss needs to make those powder blues the permanent home uniform. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with that, but those things are I, I like them. Those things are fantastic. Uh, the other game, and I watched most of the second half of this one, and I was so frustrated just as a as a fan. But Kentucky Auburn, they go that game goes to the fourth quarter. It's fifteen thirteen Auburn, and Kentucky. I mean, shooting themselves in the foot. Now, there was a touchdown called back right before half that I feel for Kentucky that that that's play should have stood. But in the second half of that game, that's a game that Kentucky had every right to be in at the end of the game. And all of a sudden, Auburn pulls away, and you look at the box score at the end, and it, if you just looked at the score, you would have no idea that Kentucky really was in that game the whole time. What, what did you think? Yeah, I, I thought they played really well. Stoops does, does a great job there. I mean, Kentucky held the ball for 36 minutes in the ball game. Uh, they were 12 of 19 on third down. So they did some really good things offensively to keep the ball out of Bo Nix's uh, hands. I know Seth Williams made a couple of great plays, six catches, 120, 112 yards receiving for Auburn and two touchdowns. Uh, Auburn's got a great you know, a great defense. And for Kentucky to be able to control the ball that long and not give Auburn a lot of chances offensively was what they needed to do. And they almost were able to, to come out there with a win. I mean, Nick's got hot at the end. He's a reliable quarterback, too. He's a guy now with two, uh, a year under experience under his belt, played as a true freshman, a lot like you did at Rice. I mean, the guy uh, is going to be a really good college player. And uh, Malzon, Chad Morris, a new offensive coordinator, they trust this kid. He's not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to make a bunch of stupid plays and mistakes. I think they're going to try to play great defense. They're going to run the football. Auburn always does. They're going to give you a couple of wrinkles, but they rely on, on, on Nick's and Seth Williams is a really good receiver. He's going to make plays all year long. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I thought Auburn would win the game. Of course, I think Auburn's going to beat Georgia this week. I think, uh, you know, that, that game probably showed them a lot about what they need to do uh, better against Georgia because they got to go on the road this week, and that's going to be a game I'm sure we talk about. But the Kentucky, Kentucky's got a good football team. They're not, they're no slouch. Yeah, well, you jumped. I mean, prefaced it perfectly. You talk about Auburn and Kentucky right now. That game, I then I was mainly tracking the score. I didn't get a chance to watch much of this one. Mainly just the highlights. But Georgia, Arkansas, man, if you're a, a Bulldogs fan in the first half of that game, you got to be wondering what is going on. I mean, I, Dewan Mathis obviously struggles in the first half, and they move to the, the former walk-on, Stetson Bennett, mm-hmm. who brings them back. And I think we saw really what, what more, you know, what we would expect out of this Georgia lineup. And then obviously JT Daniels is now cleared to play. If you're Kirby Smart, I mean, who, who would you be going with here? You know, I know Stetson gave him a spark last week, but I'm a JT Daniels guy. I've seen this kid play since he was young. I've lived in Southern California the last 10 or 12 years. And, uh, of course, JT signed with SC, and I'm close to that program. He was a phenomenal high school player. He actually played really well when he was at SC. I think if he can go, they should play this kid because he's a lot like Bo Nix. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I I forgot to mention this, but Bo Nix has thrown 218 passes without an interception his last 218 attempts. But JT Daniels is kind of a guy like that. He's going to manage the game properly. He he can throw guys open. He completes balls. He doesn't do stupid things. Kind of like Jake Fromm. He's not going to give you anything super special, but he can throw the deep ball. He can set it up there and let him go get it. I mean – He's just a pretty good player, and he's going to be a great college player. So, I, if it's me, 
I like JT Daniels, but Stetson did give him a spark last week. They look like crap, especially running the football last week. Georgia has always been a team that runs the football well and has a bevy of running backs. They did not run the football well last week, which really surprised me against Arkansas because Arkansas, their defense is never really good. So, uh, or hasn't been good in the last decade or so. So, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens in this game. But I, I like Auburn against Georgia because of the question mark at quarterback for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I think you you alluded to this, and we can sort of jump ahead a little bit, but the, to the, the preview of, of Georgia and Auburn this week, personally, I'm a Bo Nix fan. I like him. I think just sort of his moxie and what he brings to the table. He's a guy that I want to pull for. And this is one that I'm watching closely because this is obviously has, has late season implications. But I think we're going to get to your point when we first came on. This was a warm up. You know, that first week was a we're sort of getting our legs underneath us and figuring out who we're going to be. And I think both of these teams, Auburn and Georgia, it took them a full first half in both of their games to sort of get their legs underneath them. What do you think? I, I agree. I think. I think these two teams are almost spitting images of one another, to be honest with you. If JT Daniels can can play and play well, or Stetson Bennett can actually do the job and and play well, I think that gives Georgia a, a really good chance to win the East. And, and we talked about Florida and how hot they can be, and I think they're athletic as heck, but Georgia's defense is really good. Auburn's defensive front was unbelievable last year. They're going to be a little bit down on the defensive front, but Auburn's linebackers are great. So I think – I think you know Georgia has the great uh, the, the great receive the one great receiver George Pickens. Auburn has the has the great receiver that had two touchdowns last week, Seth Williams. I mean, and then you've got two defenses that can run to the football or athletic as heck. Uh, two good coaches, Kirby Smart and Gus Malzahn. I mean this this game is going. It's a top ten matchup. What's it? Number four versus number eight. Georgia's favored by six and a half. I think at home, it's going to be a heck of a ball game. Um, you know, I, I like Auburn to upset them. That's just me because Bo Nix is situated as the leader of that football team. I think Georgia's, uh, you know, Georgia's kind of debate. Kirby Smart's definitely debating who he wants to play. Yeah, you know, the only – the other game for this opening weekend at SEC play that surprised me is – and maybe I drank the, the Tennessee Kool-Aid. I might be guilty of that <laughs> coming into it. But – they did not look all that impressive. I know they they end up, you know, eking out a victory over South Carolina, but I didn't think that they looked like what I I expected them to put out there, at least for week one. The one thing that really stood out to me that I think we will see get corrected, they were one of 11 on third down, and I think they just kept South Carolina in the game. They, they weren't able to sort of put the throttle down and, and finish the game. I'm not sure. Do you have any takeaways on, on that performance? Well, you know, Tennessee's got a quarterback that can get the job done. They scored 31 points in the ballgame. South Carolina's not a bad team either. They're a team that, you know, plays solid defense. They don't. They usually don't put up a lot of points, and they keep the game close. So, you know, when you win a, a you know, a conference game like this uh, in an environment like they were in, I mean, I know there's no fans, but it's, you know, these games are tough, man. I mean, all these coaches get paid a lot of money to win ball games, and at those two universities, these coaches are expected to try to win that ball game. So those types of ball games. So, you know, I didn't watch the, a ton of that game. I did watch the fourth quarter, and I thought Tennessee just did enough. I mean, uh, Garantano finished whatever nineteen for thirty-one, 
259. He had a rushing touchdown. I mean, he did enough to win the game. But South Carolina always plays great defense. Tennessee, their, their program's definitely uh, coming around. And uh, they're doing a good job of kind of evolving, and they're they're going to be a good football team. I just I, I still think they're the third best team in that in that conference and their their side of the conference. Yeah, well, we can go we can go rapid fire here for the other two. Sorry to all of our Alabama and Missouri fans, but candidly, uh, sitting here watching that game, I mean, Mac Jones looked pretty good. Gets pulled after they build up a big enough lead, and then it, you look at A and M and Vanderbilt, which is one that I. I followed. I'm I'm based in Austin, Texas, and I'm uh, my radio segments. When I get asked, you know, what does Texas look like? What do you think about A&M? There's a lot of angry Aggies this week, and the the biggest thing for me for A&M, Kellen Mond, that that team is going to go as far as he takes them. And the big rub for Aggies has been what can Kellen Mond do in the, in the big moments against ranked opponents? Because you go back and look at his completion percentage, his touchdown to interception ratio in those big moments, those big games against ranked teams, and it hasn't been there. And I think right out of the gate, uh, the first game against Vanderbilt to, to win 17-12 to 12 was pretty underwhelming. Now, I know, again, like we've said, this is the first game trying to get sort of, sort of figure out who we are but this schedule is not slowing down for anybody this year, especially for A&M coming out next week playing Alabama. And it's one of the sort of two games that I think we earmarked as the biggest games of the weekend. If you're A&M and you're Jimbo, what are you going in and telling your staff this week? I mean, how do you light a fire under these guys? Well, they've got to throw the football. There is no doubt. I mean, they can't – you know, Bama's defense is so strong. I mean, Dylan Moses, Patrick Sertain, the front – you know, they got nine guys up front they can rotate, and that's every year. I mean – Alabama's favored by 17 and a half, I think, against them. Uh, what we didn't see last week is, well, we saw Kellerman fumble the football. We saw them, uh, they didn't really have any electricity in their veins. You know, I think that's what Texas A&M or the Aggie fans want to see is Jimbo, Kellerman, electricity on offense, balance, run the, run the football well, but also spread it out and throw it. Uh, go up and down the field. This week is not going to get any easier when they go to Bama. I mean, Kellerman, three-year starter. That's why the fans want to see some electricity. This kid's been in there. He's 6'4". He's athletic, 6'5", athletic, can run and throw. Let's see something dynamic happen. They haven't won a big ball game uh, with Kellerman and Jimbo there. They did beat LSU two years ago in a seven-overtime game. But they haven't. They they need a statement game, especially early on, uh, to really help Jimbo and to really give Kellen Mond some confidence through this year. I don't know if they're going to get it. I don't think they're going to get it. Bama's too good, but that's what A and M needs is a is a statement game. But they need some electricity from Kellen Mond and that offense to light a fire under the, you know, to uh, the team and the fan base and everybody to get them to get them rocking and rolling. They need some. They need some of that desperately. Yeah, completely agree. And I mean, I can tell you, again, being in the region, Alabama fans with what they're paying Jimbo, and like you mentioned, these guys, all of these head coaches are being paid a lot of money, but the expectations in College Station are as high as they've been in a long time. And with a senior quarterback that's played a couple years as a starter, I think they, the uh, I'm not sure that these fans are going to be too tolerant if this is another, you know, barely above 500 campaign even with all the craziness going on with COVID-19 we've obviously broken down Georgia Auburn we've talked uh, Bama and A&M I think one of the other others that surprises me going into this weekend is Ole Miss 
Kentucky. Now, I know Kentucky is ranked right now, and they played Auburn tough, but I'm surprised to see Ole Miss almost a touchdown dog. You got any thoughts on that? Well, I think Ole Miss can can score with them. I just think Ole Miss gives up a ton on defense, and and so it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I like Ole Miss like perhaps you do. Uh, Lane Kiffin might get his first win this week, but – you know, it's going to be a fun game to watch. Um, I'd have to go with Lane Kiffin at the offense. I mean, they did a lot last week against against Florida, and uh, maybe some of that continues. They get a bunch of big plays like they did last week, and they just outscore them. I mean, that's what they're going to have to do. Well, and then the only other one that I know, I think LSU fans are, I think, you know, maybe welcoming a breather, so to speak, with Vanderbilt, but – we saw how they, they played A&M tough last week. Any any keys, obviously, this week for LSU playing Vanderbilt? Yeah, you know, Vanderbilt is not going to throw the ball uh, traditionally as well as Mike Leach coach teams. I mean, we gave up 15 pass plays of over 20 yards. I think they were – Mississippi State was 7 uh, for 11 uh, for 194 yards on third down through the air. I mean, that's that, – that's – Awful defense for LSU. And, and, you know, they go on the road. They get a little bit of a break. They're 20-point favorites versus Vandy. But it's because Vandy doesn't throw the football is, is why I think LSU wins handily in this game. If they were going to play an Ole Miss, I would be a little bit uh, a little bit scared uh, coming into this ballgame if I'm Orgeron because of what they did last week against Florida and their passing team. Uh, I just don't think Vandy's got enough offensive weapons uh, from the quarterback and the receiver position to make LSU uh, suffer the same types of consequences it did a week ago uh, versus Mississippi State, just because that's not how they win ball games. Vandy doesn't win many ball games, but if they did, it would be defense, running the football, keeping the ball away from the other team, and doing it differently. So I think LSU is going to have a, a good day Saturday against Vandy, just because they won't have to play pass defense like they did against Mississippi State. Yeah, I agree with all that. One other thing, just before we wrap up, week one impressions, East, West, are there favorites you have in your mind at this point after? I know it's just one week, but anybody that really jumped out or that surprised you on both sides? Well, Mississippi State surprised the heck out of me. There, there's no doubt about that. I think Florida and Trask, you can see the evolution of his game. Uh he didn't make mistakes. They, he threw six, the six touchdown passes. He threw for over 400. You mentioned that earlier. I think Bama is the strongest team in the conference uh, by far if they're healthy and playing well. I think Matt Jones is a, is a good leader. We saw Bryce Young, the freshman uh, from modern day, come in and, and get some snaps in the second half. Missouri played pretty good in the second half. They didn't do a ton. Alabama was up 35-3. Uh, in the third quarter and kind of just held the dogs off, took, brought the second-string quarterback in, but uh, the, the freshman. But I just think Bama, Bama, Florida are the two best teams I saw, uh, you know, offensively. I think Mississippi State was off the charts, but I don't know if they have enough uh, to, to, to beat some of these teams that are a little bit more experienced. We'll have to wait and see. I love K.J. Costello and what he did. Last week, they overachieved like crazy, and all of Leach's teams always do. Um, they're going to score points. I just, you know, when you look at Bama and you look at last year and how things went down for Saban, he is going to be mad. He's going to be upset. You know they worked their tail off. They always recruited well. Uh, they've always recruited well. It's, they're, uh, they're, you know, they're loaded. 
and uh, and I like Mullen as a day, game day coach. So I, I like Bama and Florida uh, to win the, the East and West, and uh, that's pretty much a lot of what other people think. I know Georgia and Florida are going to have a, uh, an unbelievable run in the East, I think, uh, and we'll uh, match up later in the season. That'll be a fun one. But I, I think Florida and Bama were the most impressive uh, as a whole. Yep. Love it. Well, again, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. I think, Josh, I know we, we spoke off air about this, but excited to have this, this podcast up and running. And we're going to be coming to you guys each week, breaking down both what we saw the week before, previewing what we are looking forward to upcoming. And again, you can find this podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It'll be on Spotify and iTunes as well. And then you can follow both of us on Twitter. Josh Booty is at Josh Booty 10, and I'm at T McCark 16. And again, Josh, anything else before we sign off? No, I just appreciate you doing the first show with us, and then we're going to have fun with this deal. And of course, I'm so happy football season's back. And this is going to be a fun week. We've got uh, some huge matchups here, especially with the Auburn-Georgia top 10 matchup. We always do uh, every week. You're always going to have several that are just unbelievable matchups. And uh, I can't wait to uh, go back and review it next week and preview uh, the following week's games with you, brother. I'm right there with you. It's good to have football back. And, again, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a good week, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.